we are in Genesis 23, Genesis chapter number 23, <clears throat> and we'll be looking at the death of Sarah, and uh, actually we'll probably just be looking at this briefly, this uh, looking at the death of Sarah briefly, uh, and then I've got, I'm going to take you and look a little bit at the burial place of uh, Abraham and Sarah, tell you a little bit about that, uh, where they're buried in the the building that is there now and talk about that a little bit and then we're going to move on into a brief business meeting uh, after uh, the lesson. Uh, so after after the lesson we'll have our season of prayer then we'll move into a brief business meeting. We won't be having readings of minutes or anything like that. We just have a couple of items that the deacons and I talked about in our last deacons meeting that we're going to vote on. Uh, so that'll just be brief, but we'll probably try to move through the lesson quickly. Uh, I've got a video to share with you and stuff at the end of this, and so we'll try to move through quickly so we can take this in. I will tell you that uh, I've been thinking uh, a lot and praying a lot about the study of Genesis, and I definitely have enjoyed the study of Genesis, and there's a tremendous amount of uh, things that is still in the book of Genesis, but I, I feel like it's about time for us to move on to something else, and so probably over the next few weeks, we're going to take and do an overview of the life of Isaac, then the life of Jacob, then the life of Joseph. So we're just going to do an overview of the, the life and the example of those three men, uh, one or two lessons per fella, and then we're probably going to move into something else and uh, give Genesis a rest for a while. Uh, we, we will be back in Genesis when the Lord leads, though, because there is a tremendous amount of stuff. Boy, I tell you, in the life of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, there's a lot of preaching. You can preach for a year on Joseph. Uh, there's a lot in the Word of God on these things, but I've been feeling the Lord leading me to move on to something else, and so we're going to try to wrap Genesis up over the next few weeks and move into something else. But for tonight, we're going to be looking at the death of Sarah, and we find the account of the death of Sarah in Genesis chapter number 23. And so uh, we'll read the starting in verse 1 down through the end of the chapter, and then we'll look at this lesson. The Bible says, And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kerjath Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my lord, thou art a mighty prince among us, and the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohar that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field. For as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of a burying place amongst you. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the audience of the children of Heth, even of all that went in at the gate of his city, saying, Nay, my Lord, hear me. The field give I thee, and the cave that is therein I give it thee. In the presence of the sons of my people give I it thee. Bury thy dead. 
And Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land, and he spake unto Ephron in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me, I will give thee money for the field, take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me, the land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephron, and Abraham weighed to Ephron the silver which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth, four hundred shekels of silver, current money with the merchant. <coughs> and the field of Ephron which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field that were in all the borders round about were made sure unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth before all that went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for a possession of a burying place by the sons of of Heth. And so there we have the record of Sarah's death uh, and the purchase of her grave and uh, her burial. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to gather together in your house. Lord, I pray that you will be with each of us, uh, Father, that have came here this evening. Lord, as we uh, look into your word, Father, I pray as we learn uh, of your people, and Lord, as we learn of Abraham and Sarah, and Lord, we learn of, uh, Father, the history of them, and Father, uh, the, the the person that was the father, uh, Lord, of, of all the Jews and of uh, of all nations and Father of all of us who believe in you. Father, I pray that you will help us. We learn of him uh, and Father that it will just increase our knowledge of the word of God, I pray. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house. I pray you be with the children's meetings downstairs and the teens meeting. I pray you be with those that are working in those ministries. I pray that you'll bless and be with them. Thank you for your goodness to us. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, so there's several things here. Uh, that we could talk about here in this story of the death of Sarah. And as you look into the death of Sarah, there are a lot of Jewish traditions and uh, things that the Jews say that surround the story of Sarah that we don't know whether they are true or not. Whenever you get to looking at Jewish tradition, uh, some of them you read are pretty believable. You're like, well, that that's... That's very likely in some Jewish tradition you read. There's like, yep, there's no way that happened. The Bible clearly says that's not how it took place. And so we know that there's uh, some different things there. But uh, there's a couple things I wanted to share with you here that I've, I've read and that I've heard uh, from Jewish rabbis. Uh, I've been uh, doing a lot of reading on this and watching some videos and things, and there's just some interesting things that may or may not be true, but it's uh, something that Jewish tradition states. The first that I'll point out to you uh, is they say that the, it says that Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. And oftentimes through the Bible you'll see ages written like that. Uh, but one thing that I read that a Jewish rabbi said is that the reason it's broke down that way in this instance is, does not have to do with the language they could have written 127 in that language just like we write it in our language. But that it, although it was her actual age, it is broken apart and it's symbolic. And they said that uh, in, the, in the age uh, that she had the wisdom of a hundred-year-old 
the looks of a 20-year-old and the innocence of a 7-year-old. And so they broke it apart to make it symbolic to speak of who Sarah was when she died. Like I say, that's Jewish tradition, and we don't know if it's true or not, but it's interesting to hear what they have to say about the Scriptures. The other thing uh, that is said often, uh, and, and several, a lot of Jewish tradition believes this, is that the reason for Sarah's death was the sacrifice of Isaac. That uh, whenever Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him, that just the, the stress and the trauma and the uh, not knowing is what led to Sarah's death. Now, I don't know that they believe that she passed away at the same time, but just the stress of the event is what led to Sarah's passing. Again, there's nothing in the Word of God that confirms this, uh, but it's interesting to hear that these are traditions, these are uh, what the Jews say. And so just some things like that, and there's many more I could share with you, but just thought that we would look at uh, those couples. So whenever we look, though, at this text... Um, and there are several things I want to point out to you. The first thing we see there on your uh, sheet is that Sarah's longevity is recorded. Sarah's longevity is recorded. It's interesting to note that Sarah is the only lady in Scripture whose age is listed. No other lady in Scripture has her age listed except Sarah. And see, the ladies of this day thought that that was a new thing. No, this has been going on for a long time. Ladies don't like to tell their age. Uh, but we see here that Sarah's age is listed 127 years old. Now, three things that we can see about about Sarah's life. Uh, one, we can see that Sarah, during her lifetime, was faithful to Abraham. She was faithful to Abraham. Uh, whenever Abraham lived there in Ur the Chaldees, uh, uh, it would have been like an urban area. There would have been houses, there would have been shops, there would have been convenience. Not like we have today, but very modern for their day. It would have been an upscale area. It was a, a port town. Ships would have been coming in. Supplies would have been readily available. It would be equivalent to a lady living in a town where there's a Target and a Hobby Lobby and, you know, all y'all's favorite stores are within walking distance. This is where Sarah lived. She lived in an urban area where convenience was at her fingertips. And Abraham said, we're leaving. Where are we going? I don't know. Where are we going to live? In my tent? I mean, this don't sound real promising, does it? But Sarah was faithful to Abraham. She left the comfort and she followed her husband's leadership and was a great example in doing so. Also, as we look at their life, we know that Abraham made some grave mistakes. Some grave mistakes that put Sarah in danger. Twice. He said, she's my sister. To protect himself. Put Sarah in danger. Yet Sarah remained faithful to her husband. And so we can see, and we could spend a lot of time looking at the example of Sarah, but in her lifetime, she was faithful to Abraham. Not only was she faithful to Abraham, but she invested in Isaac. Now, I know this was the, only the later part of her life, uh, which uh, about 37 years she was able to invest in Isaac. Uh, but we know that when Rebecca, when Isaac took Rebecca as wife, it says that he was comforted after his mother's death, which means that Isaac grieved for some time, probably uh, two to three years, Isaac grieved the death of his mother, which means that Sarah was a lady who had invested in her son. But then we also see, when we consider Sarah's life, that she accomplished God's will. 
She accomplished God's will. I was talking to uh, a young person uh, just recently, and they were saying, do you think God will make something famous out of me? Do you think God will use me in a big way? And I said, well, there's two ways we look at that. There's being used in a big way that we see, and there's being used in a big way that we may not see. But as long as you're doing what God wants you to do, you're being used in a big way. We see here that Sarah was married to the man that was supposed to be the father of nations, and she bore one son. This doesn't seem like she's being used in a big way. Matter of fact, when she goes to her grave and she has one son, about 37 years old, many people would have marked her off as a failure in regard to what God wanted her to accomplish. But she accomplished what God wanted her to accomplish. Therefore, Sarah's life was a success regardless of what the world may have to say about it. Now, boy, I'm telling you what, all of us could learn from that. There's some positions that the world exalts and says, you want to be this, you want to be out front, you want to be noticed, you want to be seen. And there's other things that God says, but this is what I want you to do. And as long as we're doing what God wants us to do, we're a success regardless of what the world thinks about it. So we see that Sarah was faithful to Abraham. She invested in Isaac. Sarah accomplished God's will. When we come to this chapter, though, of course, this chapter is about Sarah's death, and we see that Sarah's loss is felt. Sarah's loss is felt by Abraham. And Sarah died in Kerjath Arba, the same as Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. We see that her loss is felt. There's two things I want to show you here about Abraham's grief. First, we see in verse number 2 that it says, And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah. Abraham came to mourn for Sarah. This is inner pain. Inner pain. Over the last few months, the Lord has grown me tremendously in this area. And... Uh, I don't, don't know. It almost scares me as to why he's growing me in this area. But it began with the loss of my father. In November, my father died. And although I'd experienced death, that was the closest death I had experienced, the closest person to me I had lost. And I began to understand how people experience loss and how loss affects people better than I had before. I'm not at all saying that I can enter into the grief that some of you have experienced but it be, helped me to see a little better how grief could affect a person and, and how it could uh, affect you. Matter of fact, yesterday, I drove up yesterday morning to try and get my mom's uh, new home finished so she could call her uh, final inspection. Spent a whole day up there yesterday. Got back a little after midnight last night. Uh, think I got her done. Inspector's supposed to be coming. I think she's ready to move in. But on the way up uh, or down, wherever she lives, on the way to my mom's house, uh, I was just, boy, I'm telling you, I was having all these memories and thinking about Dad, and I mean, it was just coming back in waves, uh, like out of nowhere. Of course, I mean, I was going to his house, but it's like it was unexpected, you know. And, and so I've been able to move into understanding, and then there's just been several deaths since then. And a lot of folks that I've been meeting with and I've been praying with and I've been trying to talk to, and, and I don't know what to tell them, and so I've been doing a lot of reading, just trying to educate myself so that I know what to, how to answer people and how to help people. And uh, I don't at all say that I'm authority. Matter of fact, I, there's a lot that I don't know. 
But whenever I looked at this here, this passage of Scripture, this verse made more sense to me than it ever had before. When it said that Abraham mourned and wept. Whenever you lose someone that's close to you, there's an inner pain. There is a pain on the inside, and I've seen it in others more so than I've felt it myself recently. There's a pain on the inside that you can't express. There, there's a pain on the inside that you, you can't put into words. There's just a, there's a, an emptiness and a heaviness all at the same time, and it's, a, it's an inner pain, and that's what mourning is. It's just that, that grief that you feel. When Sarah died, uh, her and Abraham have been together for all these years. They've been through a tremendous amount together. They've raised Isaac together, and now Sarah's gone, and Abraham is mourning her loss. He has a weight and an emptiness and a, and a pain inside of him that he has to deal with and he has to work past. And so we see Abraham's mourning, his inner pain, but then we see that Abraham wept. And this is the outward expression of the inner pain. You know, all throughout the Word of God, whenever someone passed away, the Bible would make comments such as they lifted up their voice and wept or they wept many days. And the Bible indicates that when, when we experience loss that it is appropriate for us to express that grief through weeping. And uh, in our modern day, uh, I've encountered folks who seem to have the mindset that you're not supposed to cry. But I find all throughout the Word of God that this is an outward expression of that inner pain that God gave to us so that we could express that inner pain that is inside of us. And we see here that Abraham mourned. He felt that pain, but Abraham wept before Sarah as she passed away. And the, the, the passage here tells us that, uh, that it, it says... Um, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah. And so we do not know uh, where Abraham was, if he was out of, uh, away from home when she passed and he came back, or if this is that he came to a memorial. But whatever it is, whenever Abraham got there, he openly wept over the loss of Sarah. So her loss was definitely felt. Not only do we see uh, Sarah's losses felt, but then thirdly, we see that Sarah's legacy is remembered. And this is where we'll spend the, the rest of our evening and we'll tie the pictures and video in with this. But Sarah's legacy is remembered. There's three ways that Abraham honored Sarah after her passing. In verse 3 through 9, we see that he honored her with a place. After he had wept over Sarah, in verse 3 it says, And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And so we see here Abraham is asking for a place to bury Sarah. He says, I'm a stranger. In other words, I, I'm a, I don't own anything. Y'all own everything here. I don't own anything. I'm a stranger in this land. However, I'm a sojourner. 
I've parked here for a while. Although I don't own anything, I've parked here for a while. I need a place to bury my dead. I need a place that belongs to me where I can bury Sarah. I need a memorial for her. Uh, one commentator that I read said that he's told uh, why he didn't have a place and why he did need a place in the word stranger and sojourner. I'm not from here. I don't own anything, but I am staying here a while, so I need a possession. And this makes an excellent example to the fact that we're strangers and sojourners in this life. We don't really have any uh, lasting anything on this earth. Our inheritance is eternal, but we are sojourning here, and because we're sojourning here, we need a place to hang our hat. So will you sell me a house so I have a place to hang my hat while I'm sojourning here? But we keep the mindset we don't belong here. And so that's what Abraham is saying. I, I'm not from here, but I'm stopped for a while. I need a place to bury Sarah. He says in uh, verse number 5, And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou may bury thy dead. And then it says, And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, Hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he hath, which is in the end of his field. For as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for a possession of a burying place amongst Jews. So now Abraham goes to him and he says, I need uh, to buy a place. But Abraham had already scoped out the place that he wanted. He knew exactly where he wanted. He knew where there was a cave at uh, and the end of a field looked like a perfect place to put Sarah. He he said, if y'all are willing to sell me a place, this is the place that I want. Now, Machpelah means a double cave. This is important to remember a little later on. Machpelah means double cave. And so he said, I want you to give me a, uh, the cave of Machpelah uh, there in the end of the field. That's the piece of property that I'm interested in buying. He wanted to find a place, a specific place. He didn't want to put Sarah just anywhere. He wanted to put her in a specific place. He wanted to create a memorial to her. And so we see that he honored her with a place, but then he honored Sarah with a purchase. He honored her with a purchase. And in verse 10 down through verse number 18, we see how this purchase took place. And of course, the Abraham said, I want to buy a piece of land. They said, we'll give you the land. Abraham said, no, if you're willing to give it to me, I want to buy it. And they said, no, there's no need to buy it. Uh, and back and forth they went. And finally, Ephron said, uh, the land's worth 400 shekels. What is that between me and you? Abraham paid him. Now, interesting enough, uh, when you read more modern Christian writers on this passage of Scripture, uh, the application is made that Abraham wanted to purchase the land although they were willing to sell it to him. And they make applications according to that. All Jewish writers that I've read after say that Ephron never intended to give him the land, that this was a Jewish way of haggling. Uh, so Abraham says, I want land. He's like, oh, I'll give you the land. But Abraham knew if he accepted it, that would be an insult because he was saying the land was worth nothing. Therefore, uh, Abraham would be inclined to offer more money than the land was worth. Uh, back and forth, it goes that way. So you take it as you will. It really weighs nothing on the gospel, which 
is what is important, whether or not uh, Abraham uh, was buying it even though he didn't have to or if Ephron was trying to get more out of him. We don't know what applies there. It is interesting to me, though, that the more ancient Jewish writers all say that this was, they were haggling. The more modern Christian writers all say he bought it because he didn't have to. I didn't dig into it deeper than that, but just share that with you there, uh, that uh, they were haggling back and forth. But regardless of the why, we see that Abraham honored Sarah by purchasing the land. If it were so, that they would have given him the land, it wouldn't have been as sacred as if Abraham had purchased it. Abraham said, I want this land. I want it to belong to me. I don't own anything else, but I want to own the place where my bride's laid to rest. There's a lot of things. I've left a lot of stuff across this plain. You can see my, my tent pegs. You can see the holes from my fence post where we've moved my flocks. There's evidence everywhere, and none of it belongs to me, and I'm okay with that, but I want to own where my bride is laying. I want to purchase this. So we see that he honored her with a place. He honored her with a purchase, but then he honored Sarah with his placement. If you look over in chapter 25 and verse number 9, you will find that Abraham also was buried in the cave Machpelah. It says, And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him, Abraham, in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, which is before Mamre. So we see here that Abraham honored Sarah by being buried alongside of Sarah. Now we know that Abraham also had Hagar, his uh, concubine, and he also, uh, after Sarah's death, uh, he did remarry Keturah and had several children by Keturah. But when Abraham was buried, he honored Sarah. He said, I want you to lay me beside Sarah. That's, that's where I want to be. So we see that Sarah's legacy is remembered. Now, I've got some pictures here of uh, the, the building that is built at Machpelah in Hebron. So we'll take a little trip to Israel here. Uh, sometimes it's good for us just to connect so that we get the right picture in our mind. Uh, during our Bible class uh, Monday night, uh, our instructor had just, just a fleeting picture of this. He said, this is the building that's built over the burial place. And he went on and I thought, I'm going to look into that. And so I started digging into this building. I'm like, wow, I want to share some of this with everybody. Uh, so anyway, this building was built uh, some 2,500 years ago. This is, building was built over the cave of Machpelah in Hebron. If you go to the next picture, it zooms in on that corner there of the building. You can see the rocky outcropping there along the side of the building. I'm pointing at my screen. Y'all just translate that to your screen. Uh, that's built atop some uh, caves there. Now, speaking of Jewish traditions that we know aren't true, if you see the opening there a little bit to the left of the building, the opening in the ground, uh, they say that's the gateway to Eden. Uh, we know that's not the gateway to Eden, but that's what the, the Jews try to say. Uh, but anyway, this was built over the cave Machpelah there in Hebron. It was built by Herod back in Herod's day. Um, I did look at some ancient pictures. I don't have any of them on the screen for you tonight uh, that show ancient uh, drawings and stuff of the building years and years and years ago, and you can tell it's definitely the same uh, building. Anyway, that corner of the wall right there that you're looking at uh, is supposedly the closest you can get uh, to the grave of Abraham and Sarah. And we'll look a little more at this in just a minute. And um, the Muslims owned this building for a long time. 
And uh, for about 800 years, the Jews were not allowed to go in the building. Uh, but there was, used to be a flight of steps that went up along that wall right where you see the people standing there. And about where the people are standing is considered the seventh step. And the seventh step was as close as you could get to the underground passageway that led to the cave of Machpelah. And so when the Muslims owned it, the Jews were not allowed to go in, but they were allowed to go to the seventh step and pray. And so now the building is shared by Israelites and Muslims. Uh, if the Muslims are using it, Israelites can't go in. If the Jews are using it, then the Muslims can't go in. It's a, it's a mess right now. Uh, but the seventh step has taken almost an uh, idol become an idol to the Jews and they will go to the seventh step and they will pray to Abraham, uh, Isaac, uh, Abraham, uh, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, and Jacob and Leah were all buried in the cave of Machpelah. And so they'll go there to that seventh step to pray there at that building. Uh, next picture shows underground. So the, uh, the wall there on your right that you see, the, the, the wall, uh, and there's a flight of steps going down right there you can see and then there's a, the passageway that goes through uh, to a big chamber and then underneath that chamber you see the two caves and that's Machpelah double cave, there's a front cave and a rear cave and that is underneath of that building and so uh, by all accounts that is the cave of Machpelah uh, where Abraham and Sarah and the other patriarchs are buried. Now like I said nobody had been in this building, no Jews have been allowed in the building for uh, seven or eight hundred years, but they got permission to go back into it. And right there, if you see the, the big chamber uh, right above the caves, right above that you see a little opening going up into the floor of the building. Now this is just interesting stuff to know. Um, there's an opening there that's about 13 inches, 12 or 13 inch opening there. And uh, you could drop coins down in there. You could write a letter to Abraham and drop it down in there and whatever, you know, and it was inside the building. People would drop things in there. Well, uh, a Jew, a professor, decided he wanted to find out if there really were any caves down there. And uh, so somehow they got by security late one night. No way an adult would fit through there, but he talked a 12-year-old girl into going down for him. And so they gave her a flashlight and a camera and uh, they led her down by ropes through that little bitty opening and uh, she got down in the chamber and uh, she took pictures and she found the steps and uh, she did not find the caves but she found the, ch the alley and the steps. She took pictures. They made a chart of it and uh, then it kind of died. Then in 1980, a group of students heard about the little girl going down in there and they're like, we got to figure this out if there's really caves. And so... Try not to use too much time. I just thought this story was amazing. But uh, anyway, they said, we got to find out if this is really down there. So they got permission. They looked at the charts, and they figured out where those steps were. They said, the steps have to come up into the main building. There's got to be a door to those steps. They got permission to hold worship services in the room they thought the steps came up in. And so they started meeting every week at late at night, and uh, they would sing and dance and have their worship every night for weeks and weeks until the guards quit paying any attention to them. Then one night they were singing and dancing. While they were singing and dancing, they found the doorway and took the chisel, cut the locks off, opened the door, down the steps they went, went over to the big chamber, moved the rocks, and went down into the cave. They went through the first cave, crawled into the second cave, and they actually found bones, pottery, all kinds of stuff in the second cave. 
They brought the pottery out and it's now on exhibit in a museum after the law got done punishing them for their crime. They put the pottery on exhibit. <laughs> but uh, anyway, very interesting. And so by all accounts, it is the, the tomb of uh, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, and Jacob, and Leah. So very interesting. The next picture is an aerial view of what the building looks like from up above. Uh, and then I've got here, I think it's about an eight or nine minute video uh, of a Jewish tour guide talking about this building. Now understand, he's a Jewish tour guide. He's not, possibly not a Christian, so some of the things he says may or may not line up with what we say. But it's very interesting. So just take a few minutes and watch this uh, video and then we'll close the church. Hi everyone and welcome back to the channel. This is David Hyman, your tour guide in Israel. Today we are in the city of the patriarchs and matriarchs Hebron. So join me for this wonderful tour, everyone. Hebron is about an hour drive south of Jerusalem. Be aware that you are driving through Area C of the West Bank, so it's best to go with someone who knows the way. Uh, take Road 60 towards Kiryat Arba, and then drive through the town and follow the signs towards Me'arat HaMachpelah. So we read in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Avraham Avinu, Avraham the patriarch, purchased the field of Machpelah from a resident of the city of Hebron in order to bury his wife Sarah here in Hebron. So this is a 4,000 year old site. This is the first purchase of the land by a Hebrew man, by Abraham. So over the years, the site has been renovated a few times until this renovation which is from the first century made by King Herod. How do we know? These, this wall is exactly the same as the one in the old city of Jerusalem. Look at these rocks with the frame. This is exactly similar to the western wall. Since it was built 2,000 years ago this building was never destroyed but it did change hands several times. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their wives are the fathers and mothers of Jews, Muslims, and Christians, and therefore earned the respect and devotion, whether the building served as a synagogue, a church, or a mosque. This area here is called the Seventh Step. Uh, for 800 years or so, the Jews were not even allowed inside. This was as close as you could get. Here, the seventh step. See, people put notes in the wall just as the way they do in the Kotel. So this wall, this building is 2,000 years old on the site of a cave that is 4,000 years old. This is maybe one of the oldest places that you can visit when you come to Israel. Let's go into the compound and look for Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Leah. 
Yeah, let's take a look at the city of Hebron first. In Arabic, Hebron is called El Halil, which means the friend, and refers to Abraham, who is the friend of God. In Hebrew, the name Hebron is based on the root Haver, which also means the friend. The site is an active synagogue, and therefore you should respect the rules and regulations. Photography is not allowed on Shabbat, on Saturday. The compound is divided into two sections, each with its own entrance. One side is a synagogue and the other is a mosque. It is not possible to cross from one side to the other, except on certain days of the year. So I'm standing right outside the uh, tomb monument of the patriarch Abraham. So Abraham purchased a field in Hebron to bury his wife Sarah and later on when he dies he joins them. The next generation Isaac and Rebecca are also buried here and the next generation Jacob and one of his wives Leah are also buried here. So we have six out of the seven patriarchs and matriarchs all buried here in this building in the city of Hebron, it is called the Cave of the Patriarchs and the Matriarchs, Me'arat HaMachpelah. Uh, this is the marker, okay, you see it says two monument, okay, in Hebrew it's the Tziyun, which means that down below is the cave where the Patriarchs and the Matriarchs are buried, and it, also, it is also considered the site where Adam, the first human, is buried. This is an extremely important and holy site for all the Abrahamic faiths. We can visit and honor Abraham and Sarah. We can see that the tombs are covered with silk carpets and the decoration and the Arabic calligraphy are from the Mameluk and Ottoman periods. Across the hall is the room of Jacob and Leah, each facing each other in death as in life. I find it quite ironic that Leah, the less attractive and less loved wife of Jacob, is the one who eventually lies by the side of her husband for eternity. Four of the patriarchs are here, Abraham and Sarah, Jacob and Leah. On the other side are Isaac and Rebekah, Who's missing? One matriarch out of the seven, she is buried elsewhere, Rachel. Rachel is buried right outside Bethlehem in her own tomb, Kever Rachel, the tomb of Rachel. Two attempts were made to reach and explore the actual cave under the present building. In 1968, a young 12-year-old girl was lowered down through the 26-centimeter opening in the floor. And in 1981, a group of boys managed to remove the iron cover and enter the cave. They described a staircase 
and a narrow carved corridor leading to the cave that was empty, but it had uh, three burial chambers and monuments facing each other. Once upon a time, Hebron was on Eimadech, was like on the main route from north to south. In the last few hundred of years, Hebron is off the beaten track. So when you look at that map and you see all those pins in that map, those pins represent people that I personally met and know where they came from. It has a meaning to them and that's why they come here. Now I've met people from all over the world and heard the most incredible stories of what brings people here because they want to reconnect with the fathers of all the nations of the world. When you touch on the people coming here, many people, you're touching on the pulse and you have to come here and feel the pulse. Mm -hmm. We believe, as Jews, we believe that the life doesn't end at the age of 120. Life goes on. We have a soul. Every one of us knows that. Amazing. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. On my way back to Jerusalem, driving through this torn city, divided and heavily guarded by the military. I'm thinking about Abraham, the first monotheistic believer, the first follower of the one God, the father of all nations. Abraham was a humble man, a man of faith, and above all, known for his extreme generosity and hospitality. Would he approve of what's happening in his city and on his behalf, in his name, all the hatred, all the violence, the blood of the innocent on both sides, Arabs and Jews. I don't think he approves, not at all. And as we say in Hebrew, he would flip over in his tomb if he knew. So everyone, I really hope you enjoyed this tour of the Cave of the Patriarchs, Me'arat HaMachpelah, in the city of Hebron. So if you did, please give me a thumbs up and please subscribe to the channel down below and write a comment and let me know where you'd like to go on our next tour of wonderful Israel. Bye everyone, take care. YouTubers always make sure they put that in there. But uh, anyway, I enjoyed uh, just looking at some of what's actually there. And I don't know if I'll ever actually go to Israel, but figured I'd take a little 10-minute tour and see what was there. And boy, just understanding those things. And it, uh, I could just picture myself being there. Whenever I get inside a place like that, I just get lost. Boy, I just want to touch and look and think and imagine. And so uh, I, I don't want to idolize it uh, like many of the Jews have idolized it. Boy, there is a, a memorial there. And uh, Abraham, he said, I want a particular place. That place has been preserved, and it's a place that we can still go look at today. So hopefully you all enjoyed uh, taking a few minutes to watch that. Alrighty. Anyone have a prayer request that they want to add just before we close in a season of prayer?